Okay, <clears throat> this is uh, so 57, 57. <clears throat> okay, so guys, welcome back to Humanity Jitsu Podcast. Today, I'm joined by, you all know him, vicariously true Khan, he's Khan's coach, Kieran Davern. What's up, Kieran? How are you getting on? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we totally didn't spend 40 minutes talking to shit before the episode. No, 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 that, that's, a, that's bullshit. That's a scholarist accusation, and I, I don't really appreciate being accused of such a thing. Like, fuck off with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been 45 minutes. Ah, okay, yeah, that's that's a more accurate <laughs> assessment. Uh, so, Garrett, see, I'm going to get through, go through the Instagram quest- question first, because I got this question a few times. It's just the one question, but it was asked several times. Like, how was your preparation for the uh, Polaris Squad sort of event there? Because, Jesus Christ, you all seen the video of him escaping uh, Tariq's fucking Darst. That was uh, phenomenal. Darst defense, if I do say so myself. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, no, uh, the preparation was great. You know what I mean? I got, like, got to train with, like, uh, obviously my own lads and that, like, you know, in SPG Tullamore. And I got to do a lot of training with, like, uh, Dara, uh, you know, Marcus Phelan, Tom Halpin. Uh, Fion and you know a, a few others there that uh, jumped in on the sessions, you know, and uh, so I I got like um, especially when I was training with Darren and the lads, like I got like to see you know different styles, different games, and then like even even when we were like you know going into training like the the first couple of weeks and that like it felt like competition style matches. We we're even talking about ourselves, you know what I mean? So uh, like you, like you'd you'd want to do well, you know what I mean? And mm. uh, and then obviously like the, another big key for me with preparation was starting in bad positions. I was telling you before I came on, like, I, yeah. I, I, that's a big thing I've changed, like, in my training and that, like, um, I don't mind getting tapped as much in training, you know what I mean, when I was younger and that, I was like, I have to fight to the death, now don't get me wrong, I don't want, don't want to be tapped or anything like that, but I, 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 I find when I'm getting tapped in different, like, when I'm starting in bad positions, I know I'm getting better and I know that eventually, even if, it, if I don't feel it in training as much, I know that that's going to carry over to competition day or competition night, so that's the reason why I was able to stay uh, like you know fairly calm in that Darius position and another big reason as well is like Dara was there in my corner and, and he literally fucking he gave me some great advice you know what I mean I just stayed calm and listened to my corner and then I had like like I had seven savages like on the sideline you know what I mean high level brown and black belts and that and they were shouting in different bits of advice and that you know during the matches so like I had like like a quality corner you know it mm. wasn't just like a me there on my own so I felt that and I felt just having the extra seven lads behind me gave me more of a lift so yeah, preparation was great. No complaint or anything like that. Mm. Uh, see, I, that's, I feel like that's one of the most under, uh, underrated fucking abilities. And well, not to mention, it's like a two-parter ability thing. Being able to record a fucking match properly, like if you're at just a regular tournament, people are like, oh, man, uh, fucking yeah. get a grip. Like, And being able to clearly and concisely de- fucking get your point across without like, like, because you want to, like, say someone's in a shitty position, or like, say they're in bottom side control or something, like, you know, shit's gone wrong pretty quickly like okay frames get your frames you know so they have a little bit of space to breathe that's a very important thing and like lots of people would like just scream random bullshit let's just say push him off you I'm like okay yeah, how, they, how? 100%, <laughs> you know. like the, the big the big thing is like uh with coaching you know don't don't tell me what to do tell me how to do it you know what i mean especially from from like a corner and uh, corner and point of view obviously it changes a little bit in the gym it's like you know don't just tell me what tell me why we're doing it you know, that's a big thing with coaching for me. Anyway, explain the why, and then I think people, like, understand, you know, they, they get the technique a lot more, whereas if you're just showing them a triangle, but, and, and you're, you're saying, like, make sure you make the angle and control the head with a collar tie, explain why you should make the angle. You know, that cuts off the, you know, circulation on the artery and whatever else. 
and you control you take the collar tie on, on the head because it stops your opponent from posturing up and that's one of the most uh, you know that's probably one of the first kind of things you're going to come across in competition when you put someone into a triangle the opposite corner is going to shout posture frame posture you know mm-hmm. so we we control the head straight away because we we're expecting them to posture you know so explain why rather than just walk you know what's important as well but i, I think telling people why is really important and i think that's it's like handing like you were saying like some people can't hold the camera or whatever blah blah you know anyone can kind of figure out you know, recording a match with a camera and that, but explaining, like, staying calm and, you know, giving, like, say, uh, precise advice and that in the corner. I think that's a skill you just develop over time in it. And, you know, maybe it's, it's a lot got to do with your personality and it's a lot got to do with putting yourself into those positions. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to, you know, coach and train with people. You know, I've got to coach at some, some you know, big enough shows, like I said, you know, MMA and Jiu-Jitsu events and that type of stuff. And I've got to, like, coach alongside other coaches and, you know, compete with other athletes. And so I've got to learn with people, learn from like some of the best people around over the last, you know, 10 plus years or whatever it might be. So I'm very lucky that way. And I'm still figuring it out as well as we go along. But um, yeah, I, I think it's just something that you have to develop just for time and just putting yourself in those positions. Same, mm. same as getting better at jiu-jitsu. You know, it's the same mm. with coaching. The more you coach, the better you get. Yeah. No, that makes that makes perfect sense because not everyone yeah. is naturally just going to be good at explaining shit, especially when they're, you know, they're, they're fucking, what's it? They're like, it's like grasping for a fucking straw. They're like, they're looking to hear the vital information from all around the place. Like they could, they could be listening to their other corn, uh, other opponent's corner, the, yeah, the opponent's corner, sorry, to see yeah. what he, he wants him to do. So he knows, oh shit, he's going to try to do this next. What, uh, what am I going to do? You know, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And I've done that as well. I've, I've been in competition and I've, I've like heard the other corner t- talk and I've even talked back to the other corner you know and different things and that like you know uh, but um, but like I've heard the other corner asking for stuff and then I you know I kind of take you, you're processing everything you know and you're listening to your own a lot of time you're, you hear your own corner and that, but maybe if you're closer to uh, someone else's corner and, and there's maybe like a you know there's a, a bigger crowd in the venue or something like that that's that's all you might be able to hear it depends on the position you're in and that so it's kind of you're, you're taking a lot in but then mm. at the same time you're just kind of reacting as well does that make sense no you're i get reacting you from your training and that like you're 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 super aware and that but at the same time you're just reacting from muscle memory from all the, the reps and the hours and everything that you've been in training you know i remember on the the first the first polaris match i had uh polaris seven um i remember when i just got into the match it was in the indigo and in the o2 in london and uh, i remember i could hear josh palmer and and uh, i don't know if it was dan strauss or it was another another commentator anyway but they were, they were saying my name, and I was like, oh, fuck, I may get into the match. Do you know what I mean? For a couple of seconds, I could hear them talking about, you know, Dabber and this and that and whatever else, and I was like, oh, shit, switch on now, let's get into the match. Mm. You know, so, and, and that happens, and that's normal, you know, especially if it's a different environment, you know, because a, a lot of jiu-jitsu tournaments, you wouldn't hear a commentator at, but if you're doing super fights or something like that, you've yeah. the commentator and everything else, so, um, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. See, one of the questions I'm wondering myself is just like, did you get to keep the sort of squad jerseys and stuff, or did yeah. you have to give them back? No, oh no, we have them. Yeah, we got we, uh, with their class. I'm just going to plug in the charger here. Um, uh, we got the Ireland and UK squads jersey, and, and then uh, they gave us the European one as well, which is deadly. So we have uh, we've we've two of them. So I was I was actually thinking about wearing them training, but then I think like they're nearly too good to wear to training, so I might um, just stick them up into a frame, and it'd be something cool to have in the gym. So I have the the UK and Ireland one, and obviously the the, the game was the European one as well. And then we all signed uh, the like I said the lads on the Irish and UK team signed the UK and Ireland uh, uh, rash guard and that, and, and the lads on the European team did the same. So it was a great buzz. Like it was a 
it was one of my favorite competitions to to compete in today because it was completely different you know um like the environment and everything was deadly and just, just like competing with like seven other kind of killers on your team it was just it was a good good atmosphere the lads are all good as well they're all sound met them before in competitions and trained with them and that so it was just a great atmosphere and, and then being able to compete with Tom and Dara and you know and uh, you know Fionn was uh, competing on the night and we all trained together for it so it was it was you know we were training for like a couple of months for it together so it was nice to be able to I don't know just go out and do it on the night you know or do our best anyway mm. you know so but, uh, yeah no definitely a good format I really enjoyed it mm. no I get you see it just one thing I'm curious about each of my guests to get on is just how did you get into martial arts? Did you train anything before starting jiu-jitsu? Or just how, how did it yeah. start for you? Um, I started martial arts when I was about seven years of age. And um, it was my, my dad put me into it. So he got me into um, karate and kickboxing. I used to live in London for a few years. My parents, uh, I was actually born in Limerick, so you're part of the world. Uh, <laughs> parents were living in Tipperary and there was no work around the area at the time. So um, I was like one years of age and then they moved off. Moved over to London. We lived there for a few years and uh, moved back to Ireland when I was about 12 or something like that. But uh, yeah, I was, in, I was into karate and uh, boxing from about seven years of age and uh, went away from it in my, in my teens. Went back to it in my later teens and then found kickboxing and MMA when I was like 20, 21 and kind of went, the rest is history. Fell in love with jiu-jitsu and, and that was it. Mm. God damn, man! I'm o- I always love hearing how people get into it. Like, uh, like when did you start transitioning from karate to uh, like uh, MMA and stuff? How did you find it? Like, oh wait, the crane kick, the crane kicks aren't doing me any good here. <laughs> yeah, do you know what it was? Like, it was like, um, like even the big thing was like, uh, like I, I kind of I, I played soccer at a decent enough level. Like I was at trials for Ireland and a few trials for a few clubs over in England and that. So soccer was a big thing to me when I when I was. And uh, so I kind of went in and out of martial arts uh, when I was younger because I just focused on playing soccer, you know. And um, I was on a few different teams and whatever else. But um, I kind of I played soccer at a decent enough level. And when I was like 17 or 18, um, I kind of went away from it. You know what I mean? I was just kind of like nearly burnt out from it or just kind of wasn't getting the same buzz from it anymore. So then like a lot of 17 or 18-year-olds do if they don't have like a, you know, maybe good opportunities that around them. I went fucking, you know, partying, you know, with my friends and everything else for a year or two. And then I was like, you know, this, even, you know, you'd be out partying, not, not doing anything bad or anything like that. But I just felt like, um, I wasn't, I wasn't like reaching my full potential. And I felt I was just, I wasn't going anywhere fast. So then, uh, I was always interested in like, say MMA, because I used to watch it when he used to come home from school. I'd be doing my homework and then I'd have like, say MMA on the telly. It could be like, uh, you know, UFC on Bravo, or it might be a cage rage or something like that. And I always, I always wanted to get into it. And and the reason I wanted to get into it was because I just thought it was, you know, I thought it was cool. Number one, but I wanted to be able to defend myself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I just, just, just to be. That's all it was. I wanted to be able to defend myself. And then uh, I found a club in Port Leash. Uh, it was ran by John Ging, and I gave him a text. And he told me to come over, and I went into so a mockery hall in Port Leash, and there was four or five lads there blasting out Metallica music in a rough enough looking hall. I got the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> and I just kept going back and I've been going back ever since you know I, I, I love martial arts I, I, I live that life do you know what I mean I, I really enjoy it and I find that when I have a competition coming up or I have a goal or a purpose it kind of just uh, it puts me in the right right frame of mind and it just kind of uh, no, it just makes me feel better and I feel more productive and that as like a, as a coach and as a you know a parent and a partner and everything else and all those kind of things whereas if I'm not competing or I'm not you know, if I'm not, if I'm slacking off a little bit, I feel that I'm not optimal. 
I don't feel that like I'm I'm the best version of myself, and 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 I just love jujitsu because you know everything else that comes along with it, you know having your training with your friends and you know and like sometimes when you're training with lads that you've been training with for years, you'd be talking shit to each other when you're rolling and but all all good banter banter and like friendly and that. Do you know what I mean? But I enjoy all of it. I just I just love training and traveling and everything else and competing and coaching. You know, so um yeah, kind of went off in a little bit of a tangent there, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, so hopefully that answers that. <laughs> no, that was a good answer, man. Dude, life is all life is for is just tangents, man. Who can, you know, yeah. tangents are the best thing. Even just right now, I myself am going on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, dude. Oh, man. I'm always uh, curious because, like, uh, about this. What was the first sort of seminar you attended? Do you remember who was running it, what they were teaching? Because, man, if you, if you fucking. Especially in your early days, if you attend a seminar, someone really high level, that can influence where your game goes very yeah. early on. You know, it's very yeah, important. I, yeah, I have a story, actually. Um, I was at the White Belt, and I went to a seminar. One of my friends, um, training partners, Kieran O'Donnell, he's a brown belt. Uh, he trains, trains with myself in Tullamore, and we started out together in Port Leash. And, uh, very good brown belt. But we, uh, we went to a seminar in Kilkenny. And this is, go you're going back maybe like, I don't know, 12 years ago or 11, 12 years ago, whatever it might have been. And it was a John Kavanagh seminar. And like, we, we were kind of like affiliated to John a little bit. You know what I mean? One of the, our coach was a, was fighting out with SBG and that. And uh, we were kind of doing our own thing down in the Midlands. And uh, so long story short, I went went to the seminar as a white belt. I was, I was kind of lifting a lot of weights. And, you know, I was kind of like, a, you know, Thought I was thought I was decent at jiu-jitsu. I was probably doing about six months. You know what I mean? I thought I knew everything or whatever. Else. So, cut long story short, I ended up uh, me and John ended up kind of like rolling at the end of the seminar. And uh, uh, you know, I said to John, "Do you want to roll?" And he said, "Yeah." And then John was probably about seventy kilos and that, and like he just absolutely mauled me. You know, mauled me. And I remember like he just submitted me. I don't know two or three times or whatever else. But the big thing I thought I took away from rolling with him was. I was 90, 90 kilos or whatever, and he was like 70-odd kilos. And when he got mount, I wasn't able to shift him. And it was the first time I felt that level of, like, black belt pressure, right? And the reason I call it black belt pressure was when, when I was going home in the car with Kieran O'Donnell, I said to him, like, I had like I was confused. I was scratching my head, like, in a sense. I was like, I had him on top of me, and I just couldn't, like, bench press him off. Because, like, when you're training with lads, like, you're similar level or maybe, like, a little bit better than you, you know. Black belts back then were, like, unicorns. You know, I think John was the only black belt at the time. There was no, I think he was the only Irish black belt. And then maybe Andy Ryan or someone like that got, you know, after that, however it might have been. But So it was very, it was my first time rolling with a black belt. But John got on top of me and I couldn't, couldn't move him. You know, I couldn't, couldn't do anything. And I was going home in the car and I said to Kieran O'Donnell, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't move him or whatever. And he goes, oh, that's black belt pressure. You know what I mean? That was the first time I heard of black belt pressure. So then I was like, black belt pressure. And then I was like, I need to get that. So then that was something that was stuck in my head from early on and then I kind of like um I pride myself on 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 my even though you kind of probably see a lot of my bottom game uh, in competition over the last recent while but like uh, my my top game I feel like a like good top pressure you know and I think that comes from that seed being planted in my head at that seminar as a white belt you know where I was like black belt pressure I need to get that you know what I mean so that was one of those things that stuck with me and uh yeah so that, that that's a seminar that sticks out and definitely like a uh, uh, point me in the direction of like you know pressure passing and you know, being a little bit nasty on top and everything else that, that goes with uh, top pressure. Hmm. Have you ever gone to another one where you've seen like a really good sequence, move or whatever, and you've, or a concept that you've taken home and, you know, you just integrated so well? 
see your game has become like a mainstay besides the black belt pressure thing <laughs> yeah there's been the, yeah but there's like even in even in recent years and that like say we'd have different lads in the gym doing seminars that like we've had like you know uh, that dylan danis down we've had like um craig jones we've had you know gunner nelson we've had you know nick gregory Ades and Ross Nichols and you know we've had loads loads of good lads down and then Irish black belts as well like Tom King and we've had Ashley Daly down and you know a few others or whatever but I kind of find that like now when, when I'm training I suppose uh, or, or even learning like as a black belt it's not necessarily that you'd see a brand new move and sometimes you do but it's just that little gem like so a little gem maybe on like head position or you know uh, you know I don't know maybe if you like with Craig Jones and that like he he showed something really nice that stuck in my head with heel hooks. It was like kind of when you're doing an inside heel hook from the saddle, when you're when you're finishing it, it's always a good idea to like bend the leg and have the heel connected to the floor. You know, so it acts as like a wedge or a block on the floor. And, you know, if, if a leg is straight, it's easier for you to escape a heel hook. And if a leg is bent, it's harder for you to uh, escape the heel hook. You know, so little things like that. Um, like with Dylan Daniels, just kind of different grips that he showed. He was teaching a seminar on single leg X. And there was one or two grips in that that just kind of stuck in my head. I'm very fortunate that I've got to been able to even travel and train like in a few different gyms out in America and that. So I've got to train with, you know, likes of Danaher and Marcelo Garcia and got to train in Ten Planet HQ and uh, Kurt Osiander in San Francisco and, you know, a few few different places. And that. So I've kind of got to learn, pick up, I picked up something from everyone. And even still to this day, I could train with like a, a blue belt that might be, you know, good at wrestling or, you know, have a good guard or whatever. And they'd show me a little tip on a grip or you know, a little sequence or something. I just, I just take from everyone. I just, you know, even kind of realized over the years that like, um, when I was a purple, I thought I knew everything. And then when I got my black belt, I realized like how little I do know. I'm like, I, I'm a black belt two years. Um, I think next week or something like that. So I have my black belt two years. Um, I have my four, my, uh, I got my brown belt four years ago yesterday. So four years ago, yesterday, yesterday I was promoted to brown belt, and then two years later I got my black belt. But the, the point I'm trying to make is I, I'm only a black belt two years, and I can't wait to see what I know when I'm a black belt ten years. Do you know what I mean? Like what? Like what? I'm always trying to find out like what? What don't I know? Like what are the details I don't know, or what I'm missing? And we're all missing details in that. So I'm on the search for for those little gems and little you know details and that. And I I'd learn that from anyone, regardless of you know someone has something to teach and you know the good attitude and everything else. I'm willing to learn from anyone. Regardless of you know belt color or rank or gyms or you know whatever it might be, you know so I think it's just having that growth mindset to get better, mm. you know. Now that makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you want to get better at jujitsu? Like, okay, yeah. that's that's some new new fucking insight. I'll uh, yeah. take that take that on board. Like, why wouldn't yeah. you want to take other shit in? You know. Yeah, so I I probably learned any seminar I've went to. I've learned I took something from you know someone like even a. Nick Gregoriades, who's the, uh, the the owner and founder of uh, Jiu Jitsu Brotherhood, um, like he he taught a really good seminar. It was completely different to a seminar that I've been to. It was really like laid back and chilled out, and it was like concept based Jiu Jitsu. But like I I can't remember. I remember I kind of remember one of the moves he he taught. It was kind of like a, a pass from half guard or something like that. But I remember a lot of the the concepts that he taught. So the con concept stuck with me like as in like uh, bad spinal alignment so, like obviously like something as simple like he, he calls it you know spinal alignment or bad spinal alignment where basically you you turn your training partner or your opponent's head in one direction and the hips in the opposite direction if the head the chest and the hips are lined up and the knees are pointing in the one direction then your 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 opponent or your training partner is going to be more structurally sound you know whereas if i can twist the head and the hips 
I'm always going to, I'm going to have like a better advantage to pass or, you know, get a different position. That's why the cross face works so well from say mount position, especially if you can turn the knees in the opposite direction. There's a few obviously things you can do in that. Um, another thing was active toes on the mat, you know, so active toes, instead of having your laces on the mat in certain positions where you're, you're, you're pushing or giving counter pressure. So instead of laces, have your toes in the mat the way a sprinter would be, like say, as in like starting at the, the start blocks. So a few different things like that. I've learned so much of, over people over the years, and I might take a tip or two off, like uh, off someone. And uh, it, like say for example, uh, my I felt that over the the last years, I used to have a good uh, head and arm choke, and then I kind of went away from it for a little bit. But then the last couple of years, like I feel that I've improved my head and arm choke, and I've learned so many little pieces of it from different people. So I've collected like say different like pieces from the setup to the position of your head on the finish to the way you, you know, dismount to, to side control and that. But the, the head the head and arm choke for me, say, for example, is like pieces I've learned from different people I've trained with, whether they're black belts, brown belts, or, you know, blue belts, whatever they might be, or even instructionals or seminars. So that the, the, the whole thing on my, my uh, like, say, head and arm, for example, is just like bits and pieces from everyone else I've collected over the years. And obviously my own, you know, working it to my own style and body type and everything else. You know, mm. it's the same for any position. I, like none of us, uh, none of us very rarely invent anything. You know what I mean? You just kind of come across something or something that, you know, you just find like little hidden gems and then you add them into your game and then you make them your own. And that's it. And then when you're teaching jiu-jitsu, you just teach what you know and that's it. You know, mm. you can only teach what you know and, you, you know, and I just that's the way I approach my jiu-jitsu. I have, lads, I have lads in my gym that are way better at playing, you know, certain games that I am, like say, like worm guard, for example. You know, or maybe lads that are better at playing, I don't know, maybe deep half or whatever their game is. But I'll put my put myself in those positions with those lads and I'll try to figure it out and I'll try to learn from them, you know. Hmm. No, I get you. See, I have a few questions here that I love to ask coaches. Like, what's your sort of coaching style? What do you sort of, like, uh, prioritize on, like, just a regular session? Would you prioritize drilling, rolling, or positional sparring? Like, we've talked about this before, but just for the listeners, elaborate on what you, what you prefer. <laughs> Yeah, so like, uh, so it's probably not. It's probably a, a little bit of a longer answer now again, right? So say yeah, when, when all I, ears. <laughs> yeah, so when I when I teach first, so say for example, if I was teaching the Dars joke, so I was talking to this before we, yeah. we we came online. Uh, if I was teaching the Dars joke, for example, I would either maybe let the lads just do like two three minutes each of just doing the Dars joke without me, um, you know, teaching anything, and I and I tell their like opponents to start building up, or sorry, not their opponents, their training partners to add in a little bit of resistance. So maybe like, not even just like shut them down completely, but just like maybe if someone like, uh, if you break someone down from a darts from turtle position, like get back to your knees. So give them some of the common reactions and then let them finish it with the darts. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe you might be able to think of like blocking the hip when you're defending the darts or flexing your neck or whatever it might be. So I'd let my lads kind of uh, like just drill the position, feel it out. And then what I do is I bring it in. And then normally I kind of find that people are more alert and they're more aware of like solving that problem on the dark stroke. So you have, you kind of have their, their attention as a coach a lot better than maybe if you just went in and showed random techniques or, you know, whatever it might be. And then for me, then I, I teach the dark stroke. So I let them drill it. And then what I would do is I teach like two to three, maybe like common problems, you know, high percentage problems that are going to occur, uh, there's, there's a high chance they're going to come across these in a competition. So say, for example, you're, you do the dar choke with no resistance, and then you do a dar choke, you get your opponent to flex the neck, so you show them how to deal with flexing the neck. 
maybe breaking someone down from turtle, they come back from their knees, and then you, you show them how to stop this from happening, and then maybe if someone's blocking the hip, you show them how to clear the hand off the hip and finish the down. So I, I show the technique, and then I show maybe two problems that might happen uh, with the technique, and then we kind of stay on that position, like say for a week or a couple of weeks, you know, like say for example, if it was open guard, what recently is we've stayed on positions for a couple of weeks rather than just a week until everyone kind of has it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then going back to drilling, rolling, and what was your request or what was your one? Just drilling and rolling, was it? And a specific sparring, like positional. Yeah, so I'm I'm big on positional. So especially for our competition team, uh, we do we do positional like every competition team session. So in the beginning, we do some drills. It might be like um, it might be a free flow and drill where I just let lads go in and I sell it for four minutes or three or four minutes. Drill any any takedown you want. Do you know what I mean? And stick to that one takedown. Sometimes it might be drill any new takedown that you want to work. You know, so depending on how far out we are from a competition, so maybe someone or or a guard pass or something that you want to get better. So this is your time to get better. You know, we kind of nearly use it as a warm up, and then we might do more specific stuff like right. You're starting in. Uh, uh, some someone's going to put you in single leg X. So I want you to work your your passing from single leg X, and your training partner on the bottom isn't going to give much resistance, but you're just going to, you know, get some grips and just kind of get your get your training partner to react a little bit, and then. The positional sparring, we, we kind of go fairly hard in those positions. So we do, obviously, the nogi and that. Uh, we like our leg locks and that. So we start in, like, a few different positions, like 50-50 and saddle and, you know, starting the back and starting, like, turtle position and everything else. And we might do three to four minutes defending, three to four minutes attacking, and then we do rounds at the end, especially for our competition team um, uh, training. But for myself and that, I, I love drilling. You know, I, that's how I find that, like, um, that's how I find I'm able to get, like, add new techniques to my game you know it's by drilling you know just kind of like no resistance and just let me rep and then you can rep and whatever else and then what we do is whatever position we're drilling let's say it's deep half um i i get you to start like say i'd go deep half bottom you're you're on top and then i tell you to kind of like just give me like say maybe 20 30 percent you know mm -hmm. i mean if i'm getting a 20 30 percent then be a good training partner and then move up to 40 and then 50 and 60. And then if, if I find that 60, you're shutting me down and I'm not getting anything going, well, then I'm going to have to get you to bring it back to 40 or 50. And then mm. well, once I start getting comfortable there again, then we'll start building it on. And then then sometimes it's good to obviously do like your 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 100% kind of nearly resistance where, right, we're in deep half, you're going to try to shut me down. And then at the end of it, if you do shut me down completely, I need to take a mental note to either ask my coach or go home and kind of research it or whatever else it might be and try to fix that problem as soon as possible. And I think the, the more you can do that and the more often you can do that, the more you're going to improve your game rather than just going, ah, deep half doesn't work or, or you know, the, the darts doesn't work or whatever it might be. Like, fix, get to the root of the problem and try fix it. And you're, and you're probably not going to add it into your game straight away, but if you kind of downscale your, the intensity of your drilling a little bit, especially for new techniques, um, I find that, like, that, that's how kind of people start to add like, uh, new techniques and that to their game. But it just takes time. Whereas mm. it, uh, the analogy that I do is it's like, when it comes to drilling, if we're drilling a new technique, right, and just say I shut you down every time, you're not going to have confidence in it. Like, so if you're a blue belt and you're rolling with, you know, a higher color belt, and you just shut you down, it doesn't let you get your technique. You're not going to have confidence in it. It's the same as if I showed you a jab today and I said, right, this is how you do a jab. Now go in and spar, uh, spar Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson's going to do whatever he wants to, you know, stop you and knock you out. You're not going to believe that the jab works after a training session. <laughs> But the jab, the jab is a great tool and a great technique when it's applied right. So, like, how how would you how would you get more confidence in using the jab? Right, you'd say to 
if you're sparring someone as high level as Mike Tyson, for example, you'd say, right, Mike, don't knock me out. You know, kind of just, you just move, just move your head. I'm going to try to touch you with the jab. Keep your hands up. So you're just going to bob and weave. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe touch me to the belly and that with, with your shots and that. And then just build, build up the resistance and build up confidence from there. So I find that that's a, that's a big, uh, that's a big tool for adding new techniques. Mm. Now, when you have, when you have your positions, like just say like you have a solid close guard or a solid back game, and uh, you're just trying to like sharpen your tools, come up closer to a competition. Well, then it then it's good to have your you know your your rounds where your partner's going 100 percent to to try shut you down because you need to feel intensity as well. You know, intensity intensity is important for competition as well. You know, but I, I kind of find it's uh it's whatever works for you, and that's kind of what works for me. But I kind of find uh kind of doing everything. You know, uh, drilling at high intensity, low intensity, um, trying to fix problems as you go along, and then uh, and then obviously rounds are rolling as well. And starting in bad positions, starting in bad bad position is a big one as well. Mm. Uh, see, one thing I'm curious about is just like, um, do you have any advice for like uh, future gym owners and stuff? Because we all, everyone wants to open up a jiu-jitsu gym until they actually fucking have to. And you know, it's, we all know it's not all fun and games, just rolling yeah. with boils. Like, so is there any just sort of pitfalls you you'd uh, warn people about if they're thinking of opening up a gym in the future? Um, I don't know. There's so much. There's you know, I, I'm. I'm running SPG Tullamore the last uh, eight plus years, you know. So I've kind of I've had I have a bit of ex- I was teaching in a, in a different gym before that, and then I opened up my own gym 2012. And um, there's so many different things I've learned over the years, and uh, what I kind of do find is just talk to talk to other gym gym owners. Like so, say for example, I was in Milan a couple of weeks ago. I was cornering Charlie at Bellator, and I was talking to um, another lad that's a head coach in a gym, and it was really good for us to kind of like just talk about like coaching in general and different kind of problems that you've come across in training or different types of athletes or whatever else it might be. Um, but going back to your original question, like we're opening the gym, it, it, you have to, it has to, you have to do it for passion. You can't do it for money. Mm. You know, you have to, if you think that you're just going to open a gym and you're going to make a fortune, you're probably wrong. You know what I mean? Especially, especially in the first few years or, or, or whatever else. Um, but like it has to be passion. You have to you have to be all in. You have to be hundred percent. I opened the gym in the beginning. It wasn't to you know necessarily like a build the gym the way it's gone now. Uh, it was just for me to pay my fees in pay pay my fees in Dublin and have a little bit of diesel in the car and uh, be able to have some. It, it was after the recession when I opened it. Like be able to uh, have some food and that type of stuff and just train full time. That's why I opened the gym. Mm. And then it just built into something else. It turned into kind of what we have now today. Like we've we've a solid team, and you know we've a big big group of lads and girls and that. And you know every not not everyone's a competitor, but we've we've a solid competition team and that. And it's kind of turned it's turned into that. And I think it's passion and hard work and self belief. Uh, that's what that's what's kind of done it for me. But um, yeah, and then like even now with with COVID and everything, you know gyms are in a tough gyms are in a tough position. There's gyms closing. You know, it's nearly one or two gyms closing like every week or two, and it's not nice to see or anything like that because, um, you know, it's it, it's tough, and and I you, know, you can only imagine what people uh, put into gyms. It's their livelihood, and it's their you know their passion and everything else. So it's it's not nice to see, especially like when you own a gym yourself, you mm. know. So uh, you just have to take you know I suppose you just have to take the good times and the bad times as they come, and that's it. But uh, yeah, there, there's there's I suppose uh, to be. There's so much I've learned, you know, with running the gym, you know, good and bad. And there's so many mistakes I've made as well. And there's so many things I've done right as well. And, there's, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to running the gym. So it's not just coaching jiu-jitsu. Mm. You, know, you, have to, you have to be willing to, to do it all and you have to be able to give your time up. And, you know, you have to enjoy coaching as well. 
Mm. You know, you can't just can't just enjoy coaching the the, the high level lads or you know whatever else. And then even if, you, if even if you just like coaching like just the beginners, you know you have to have like a the, the higher level lads have to see that there's a there's a route for them to get better as well. You know, so mm. there's a lot to it. Yeah, I can't imagine it's easy to juggle all that shit at the one time. Yeah, it, it's a it's it's you know it's like anything you just. You just kind of, you just have to make mistakes, go with your gut, like do what you feel is right, you know, uh, talk, talk to people that are, you know, that are ahead of you, you know, as in regards, like how long they've, they've had their own gyms or, you know, how long they've been around or whatever else. And, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's that's life, isn't it? It's like anything. Mm. You just, you just go in, you make mistakes, you try correct mistakes and you fail better next time, you know, mm. but, um, yeah, it, it, it's full time, but you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Mm. Ah, good answer, my man. Okay, so guys, reach a segment of the podcast. I like to call around the specifics. Just a bunch of random questions. Some about jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So, Kieran, do you want to do round of specifics? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Ah, good. You should be afraid. Okay, so uh I love this question because Kieran is actually the first person to come on this podcast who has some, in a while who actually has some fucking class. What's your favorite gi in your collection? And I know the answer is going to be good because Tatami gi is uh, number one. Uh, yeah, I love Tatami gis. Uh, shout out to Tatami. Uh, the Estilo is probably my favorite gi. Hmm. Uh, is there a particular one you like? Because there's one that I'm kicking myself I didn't get. It's the one, the wife one with the green fucking accents, and I'm like, oh my god, why didn't I get one sooner? Because they're so yeah. fucking expensive now. Yeah, no, I have the, uh, I've kind of a good few of the the Estilos. Probably the, my favorite one is the I have the the black and red one. You know that one? Ooh, ooh yeah, that's, that's a nice a great one. It goes well with the black belt as well. And, <laughs> Actually, uh, yeah, I have a few. I have, I have the white one, I have the black one, and the blue one, and that. But yeah, the Estilo is definitely my. Uh, my favorite gi so um i'm due a new gi now soon so i was i was literally just looking at the website there uh, just before i come on and that so there's a new there's a nice white one on it i think uh, i might try to get that one uh see uh, what about the white with the orange on it you keen on the orange uh i, I like the orange yeah, there's a few lads in the gym that has it so uh you know i didn't want to didn't want to cramp their style you know? uh, <laughs> uh, i've seen the one with the, the black and the teal accents I'm like um teal uh, yeah i don't know the, the new ones out are really nice they have a nice uh, competition gear so what i'm going to get next it's the it's the white one that i'm after forgetting the name but uh, it's called the nice competitor it has the japanese stuff on the collar yeah, right that's the one yeah that's the one i'm getting next so i'm literally mm. gonna uh, get sorted after we Finish the uh, finish this chat and that's all. Yeah, <laughs> I won't keep you for much longer, so you can type them saying, "Give me ah, my key." Me... <laughs> all right. Uh, who would you say is the most famous person you've rolled with? Uh, I've I've been lucky enough to roll with some like great lads. Um, so I've rolled with obviously rolled with I've rolled with Marcelo Garcia. Uh, rolled with uh, Gunny. Uh, rolled with Dylan Danis, Mateus Denise. Uh, is who else have I rolled with? Uh, Bernardo Ferrari. Uh, uh, Ferrari. <laughs> Ferrari. <Yeah. laughs> Ferrari. Sorry. Yeah, uh, you tried it for me, guys. <laughs> yeah, I rolled with him. Uh, that was that was humbling because I didn't know who he was. It was a purple. It was out in Marcelo's, and uh, just rolled with him, and then he, he just like uh, loop choked me straight away. I was thought I thought I'm kind of doing pretty good here, and I passed into like went to pass into side control. He hit me with like a beautiful. Do you know the suicide choke? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a, like a form of a loop choke. You pass to one side, then it gets tighter. You you think you're able to pass, but just feeds you into like a loop. 
Uh, I've been lucky enough to, to, to roll with like a, a lot of good lads. Obviously, train with Connor in that in, in the earlier days and everything else. So, um, uh, Dylan Dennis and you know a few different lads in that. So, um, yeah, I've got, got a few different lads. The young lads here, he wants to stick his head in. Hey, <laughs> say hi. Hi. <laughs> say hi. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, a few different lads. It's like that. It's like that BBC interview. Remember, your man's in his in his uh in his office, and his children come in, and his wife is like sneakily bringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know what you'd see running by me in a minute. You might see an elephant, or you could see anything. You wouldn't know what you'd see in this house. <laughs> Elephants. But, uh, yeah, no. Been uh, I've been lucky enough to train with some some high level lads and that you know. So there's I suppose there isn't like. One, there's probably a lot of lads I'm even forgetting. You know, I rolled with Craig Jones. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I've got, got, got to roll with a load of good lads in that, so. Mm -hmm. Let's see. What was your first video game console? What was your favourite game on it? My first video game? Yeah. Well, this is going to show my age. I had the... Uh, I had the Sega Mega Drive. Uh -huh. And then I, I had the one before that. I don't know if you know the one before that. Think, was that the, the, the Master System or the... NES. I had the, I obviously had the Nintendo sixty four. I had the Mega Drive, but there was there was one before the the Mega Drive, and I'm after forgetting the name of it. Uh, yeah. Probably lads watching this and they're screaming the name, but I'm after forgetting it. it was literally you put the tapes in and that. But oh. like, uh, we used to, like on the Mega Drive, and that like my favorite game was like Street Fighter. I used to oh. love Street Fighter, and then uh, now I got like a obviously I'm, I have the PS four and that now, so Call of Duty's my favorite game i've been playing like red Redeb or redemption 2 as well um i'm looking forward to hopefully getting the the ps5 maybe for christmas or, or something like that or, oh know. dude see uh here's the thing like uh back in 2013 for christmas i got the ps4 like just when it dropped and man i gotta say that was a mistake because like i love my ps4 i use it like every day i've been playing the shit out of hitman 2 lately i love that game but man i never get a console at launch year anymore because there's no games and they're still Okay. People are still figuring out how to make games for it True, make, and make yeah. it good. Mm. You know, and you don't, you, the only games that will be on it are games that are just ported from the last one. Like, the next game, the, most of the games that you'll see as launch titles are like Ghost of Tsushima. I'm like, okay, I finished Ghost of Tsushima on PS4 and I've platinumed yeah. it. Why would I buy it again on PlayStation 5? Like, True, okay. yeah, so there's no, what, there's no new games out for the PS5 that you can't get on the PS4, is that what you Oh, saying? no, of course there will be, but right. most of them will be, like, most of the games that you can get... Within the first well, few months, this side, of Christmas, yeah. this side of Christmas, you could probably get everything on the PS4, could you? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, like, I was thinking, I never, like, this is me, like, and not to mention, it'll be cheaper to get it a year after the fact. You'll have way more games, they'll, they've worked out all the bugs with stuff. You know, yeah, I just think it, it'll be a better overall experience. You know, you yeah. know, good, good things come to those who wait. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Um, like, uh, did you see that they're like with the with the new PS5? What they're doing is like you can buy one console that obviously takes discs, and then you can get like for a hundred euro cheaper, you get the one that doesn't take discs. Mm. And it looks like it's probably going to be like eventually it's going to be going like no discs. Oh. Isn't it? It's just download everything and everything's from the internet. And that. But it looks like you can get it for like a hundred quid cheaper if you get like without the discs, as, as far as I know, anyway. Mm. But um, seemingly they're all kind of sold out already, aren't they? 
Oh, dude, man, I'm not. I'm not even looking. I'm like, no thanks. I'm not fucking with that. Like, cause man, I I saw I saw the hassle that my parents went through like in 2013 to get me get me uh, the PS4, and it was a fuck. It was a cluster fucking shit show. Let's just say. So right. I don't. You know, no thanks. I don't want to go through that hassle when I could go through less hassle a year later and pay a lot less and get a lot more. So you know, that, that's just yeah. Me. I get that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think just at the moment I'm bored because um, uh, there's no 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 coaching at the moment as in you know with everything with the with the gyms and that type of stuff so i literally go in i train in the mornings home for a while i train again in the evenings and then obviously home for a while so without any coaching or you know um any of my lads competing on like that you're just like literally just trying to kill time there's only so many times you can train in the day as well oh. you know what i mean so uh, i think like the last week or two i've kind of gotten more back into the playstation i'm not like a huge amount or anything like that but i didn't touch it i'd say for most of the year i might have just like Played Call of Duty, burnt it out, and then just stayed away from it for six, seven, eight months. You know, so I kind of got back into it there recently, just playing a little bit now and again. So, but uh, mm. yeah, oh, nah, no, that's about to change soon because obviously I have, a, I have a competition coming up fairly soon. So now it's head back down and just mm. train, train for a while, and it's nice to have a goal coming up mm. or a goal to work towards. The... Mm. No, I get you. So, man, what would you say is your most, the most embarrassing injury you've ever had? Would it be a jiu-jitsu injury, non-jiu-jitsu injury? Just the way you got injured was so fucking ridiculous. It makes you, it makes oh, you, yeah. it, it wakes have, you up at night because you're so embarrassed. Yeah. I have one I still laugh about with a few of the lads. Uh, it was about seven or eight years ago, and uh, we're in our own, we're in my own gym, and uh, we're waiting for uh, so, someone teaching a seminar, and he was late, and uh, probably about seven or eight years ago. And one of the lads was doing like say like a kind of like break dancing moves where like you'd like you know spin your legs around and then try like get back to your feet or something you know oh what boy. I mean? So literally we were all messing around with this trying to do this like break. Now I can't dance for shit, let alone break dance. But um, one of the lads was spinning around and he was doing it, and then I literally gave it a shot and then like fucking bent my toe back as soon as the instructor walked in and started the seminar. So he was like, right lads, let's go. You know he slapped his hands and I'm like bent my foot back like you know hyper or my, my toe back and then we we're like literally straight into jogging and all i wanted to do was scream that's probably the most embarrassing injury that i got and i still kind of laugh about it to this day so he, he was running running late he ran in and we were killing a little bit of time doing this and uh yeah like literally we're gonna bend my toe back and then just straight into jogging and i was in bits so that's probably like a an embarrassing one <laughs> oh my god man i could i i thought it'd be so funny i thought he was going in a different direction is like uh you, you screamed just as he came in like oh there that guy's enthusiastic why aren't you all screaming <laughs> for me what the hell <laughs> yeah yeah no he just caused to start jogging and that was it you know oh man i fucking hate jogging first and foremost like man i underrated like uh i one thing i don't like is when people phone in to warm up when they just run in a circle for 10 minutes or some shit you know but if you do like one thing i really like my coach he does this a lot when you we do like passing sequences one-handed passing put your hand in the belt or no hand passing or yeah, you know nice. variations thereof or you have one hand i have two or you have no hands i have one stuff like that you know Nice. You know, because if you know how to pass with no arms, it's fucking... Yeah, 100%. It's, it's, not, it's, it's always, always going to help you. You're working... Uh, when you do that type of stuff and you're not using hands, you're 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 working on connection. You know, it's a big thing with Hicks and Gracie. He talks about connection. Connection's so important in jiu-jitsu. I suppose if you're not using hands, you're kind of getting used to... In, you're more aware of where your body position is. You're more connected with your chest or your hips, depending on the, the position. Is, if it's side control, for example, or, or whatever else. Um, and then, like, you're warming up doing jiu-jitsu. 
you know, which is a good thing as well. I, I like to, because uh, you only have an hour, an hour and a half, depending on the length of your classes or whatever. Um, the way I kind of like to do it is like to get, you know, get the lads moving, you know, and then get them uh, do some mobility, because I think it's important just for longevity and that, you know, especially the older you get in that. And I find that we get less injuries when we when we get people moving and then we get them doing mobility in the beginning and then we go straight into like jujitsu style stuff. So say maybe the warm up might be ten minutes of like movement, mobility type stuff, and then then we start going into like jujitsu drills where we're still building the warm up and building the intensity. So I kind of like to have most of my lads kind of like like a little bit of sweat before they're like so I want them sweating before they're uh, before they've started the class. You know, it's normally a good good guideline that they're they're fairly well warmed up. Now that makes sense. So everyone's warm, no one's gonna cramp, everyone's all up to speed, everyone's all good. Now yeah. see, here's a good one. I always love this question. It's like if you could ban one guard or position from competition, what would it be and why? Lapel guard. Oh, no. <laughs> Fuck you. No dude, get get good. I love my lapels. Don't you dare take them away. Go well, No question. Get rid of it. <laughs> okay, why why don't you like lapel guard? I know the reason I don't like it is because it works so well. <laughs> oh, finally, someone yeah. who will admit it. Yeah, it was like, oh, it doesn't work, or oh, white belts can't pass guard because of doing that. I'm like, no, no, I just don't like it. It's a great guard. I I only want to ban it because it works so well. Oh, but, but uh, yeah, no, the the lapel guard is great. You know, you get serious control. Uh, obviously, in the gi, especially like even even with like a smaller person trying to can control a bigger person and just the way you can wrap a lapel from like say the short like one shoulder to the far hip you're creating a, like diagonal control and you're and you're be able to break posture and that which is huge you know because when you especially if you're playing lapel stuff from from the bottom which most of it is but um you can obviously you get a lot more control and if you can break someone's posture and control them rotating from a passing position you're obviously going to have more success in sweeping you know mm -hmm. but uh yeah the, the lapel guard ban it <laughs> all right uh fuck them they, they, it doesn't work anyway <laughs> all right see uh what's your favorite song to roll to in the gym favorite song to roll to uh i have a I have a few of them like um I, I used to be i used to dj when i was a young lad mm -hmm. uh i was like i was like a, a little entrepreneur from about 15 years of age up to about maybe 19 or 20 um, i was mad into music and everything else so um i'd listen to anything from like rock to rap to you know old school dance music like listen to anything but um now and again i like to depend on what what, what mood i'm in if i'm in a class i'm not really like banging out the rap music for for ob obvious reasons because you don't know what the rappers are going to say and you don't know what parents are gonna walk into the gym or pick their kids up or whatever so <laughs> save the rap music for a comp team training or a few of us just meeting up and rolling but um my 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 favorite kind of band of, of all time is like uh, king's leon so uh, king's leon is probably one that i put on a, a good bit like if, if it's class or you know adcc guns or roses so i like kind of old school rock as well and uh depending, <laughs> on the, depending on the mood as well you know if you want to amp the lads up a little bit in the comp team session if we're doing like a nogi sweaty comp team session we're doing 10 rounds you know bang up some bang out some uh, old school dance music you know like uh, sandstorm and fucking all this type of stuff you know so anything i'd listen to anything irish music now and again sometimes coming up near christmas we just like put on the pogues and we listen we do like 12 rounds of christmas like listen to the pogues or that type of stuff so and then i just let the lads pick as well sometimes the lads just come in and just pawn their music and that so mm. you know? oh man i noticed the freudian slip just there you were talking about all these bands and you said adcc instead of acdc freudian slip there sorry 
I know I know where you're at. That's, um, all, that's, that's all that's been on my mind, uh, uh, I suppose, this year is like trying to, you know, prepare for that whenever it does happen. Obviously, it was meant to happen in Moldova in October, and then now they're saying the end of the year in Poland, which probably won't go ahead. Um, but I'm, I'm still preparing for it because it is going to go ahead. And, you know, the, the more weeks and months I get in, the better I'm just going to get because uh, I've, I've been working the rule set and, you know, working on my wrestling as much as possible. And, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to qualify. You know, I do everything in my, I'm going to do everything in my power to try, try qualifying that. There's no reason why I, I can't, you know what I mean? I have the mindset, I have the skill set. So it's just like being able to play the rules and, you know, uh, and just today. But, um, yeah, so it's just been a, 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 a ACDC. ADCC has been in my mind, you know, the last few years and especially this year. So I'd, I'd love to qualify for it. It's a major goal of mine. Uh, to get back to the music thing, I have a suggestion. Okay, how about you have a class with just the brown and the black belts, like I know competition style class, just the two, you, those two belts, and play the song, come out your black and tans. Yeah, we've done it. <laughs> really? Done oh, it. I, th I thought I was being original with that. No, you're you're original with the with the black and tans, uh, with with the brown and black belt, but. We'd listen to the Wolfons and all that, uh, the Dubliners and, and everything else, you know what I mean? Uh, we, what we've done as well for open mat sessions, I post it into the group page and I, you know, I'd say if we're doing a Saturday or a Sunday open mat session or a bank holiday Monday or uh, open open mat session, I'd post into the group and I'd say, right lads, going to do up a playlist on Spotify or Spotify, uh, let me know what songs you want and it could be the most random songs you'd ever hear in your life or sometimes it could be a decent playlist and then sometimes lads just throw in like Aqua Barbie Girl or something like that just to, <laughs> to, to wreck the whole playlist but uh, it, adds a bit, it adds a bit of fun to it as well and it's a bit like if uh, you know someone hears their song come on like say if, if they really mean it and that's their walkout song or that's their favourite song to get some pumped up for training when that song comes on or that song comes on they're like oh I picked that song or that's my song or, you know so it's just a I don't know it's a different touch as well I and mean, then you, you can get sick of listening to the instructors um you know, same music the whole time, and that's why. That's why I let the let the lads like put on the music they they want to. A lot of them listen to the fucking Post Malone and you know everything else and that. So, so I don't mind that. Sometimes uh, it's nice to let the lads take control of the stereo. See, a really good one I like is uh, Iron by Woodkid. It's like it's just the, the fucking the start of the song. Like I, that's like you'd walk out to that because all the drums like. Right, class. You know. Like, I'll send you it later because I'm yeah. not doing it justice. It's just the first 30 seconds of the song are fucking amazing. The rest is okay, but the first 30 yeah. seconds are, you know, like, yeah. it, it sets uh, an atmosphere. The walkout song I was using since uh, probably till from, from maybe early Brown Belt, maybe last four or five years, uh, was Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower. So that was the walkout song I was using uh, a good bit. And then for the, not Polaris Squads, but the one before that, when we had our own walkout song, the one I had was it was in Manchester. It was um, the the Dubliners or the Rocky Road to Dublin, you know. So that, that was a great one as well for me, especially playing it over over there and that you know being I think it was me and maybe Tom Halpin were the only Irish lads in the card, or maybe Paul Redmond might have been on as well. I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, it was nice to be able to come out to an Irish song over in the UK as well. You know, kind of lift you up a little bit. Yeah. Did you have a, a Rocky Road afterwards to celebrate? You know, uh, you know the fucking the sweet the Rocky Road. Yeah, no, I love a rocky road, but the, what the what the song does for me, it kind of, the rocky road to Dublin is kind of what it represents to me. And I probably I, I haven't even talked about this to anyone. Is like you know all the years traveling up to Dublin with not a penny in my pocket, and uh, driving from Tullamore up to Dublin, you know, training SPG and everywhere else, and that uh, we're not we're not being in my pocket and barely any on barely any tax in the car, or you know, wondering what I get home from training with. 
Diesel or anything like that. You know what I mean? Uh, so that that to me is what the Rocky Road to Dublin kind of represents. Even the song isn't the song isn't anything about that, but just that's that's what I took from the song, and then it kind of gets mm. me back to, you know, the the humble beginnings in a sense. You know what I mean? And where where I kind yeah. of started out in the sense that you know not having a bean, you know, and then being able to be in a position where I get to do what I love every day. Mm. No, you know, like that. You know, keeps you grounded and all that yeah, brings you back. Of course, man, because you know we all, you know. It's very easy, you know, especially when you reach a high-level jiu-jitsu, you know, you could think, yeah, man, I'm the fucking greatest, man, fuck all these people. But, man, you know, it's good that so many of the guys just stay humble because they know, you know, they know what what it takes 100%. to get it. But sure, it's, it's the beauty about uh, competing in jiu-jitsu, especially at, like, a, a, a high enough level is, like, it's you, you if you're not humble, you will be humbled. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I respect everyone I compete against. You know what I mean? I know that anyone, regardless of belt, time they're training, you know, affiliation or whatever, anyone can catch me, you know, on any given day. And once I have that mindset, that's what keeps me sharp. It's that little bit of fear and that little bit of, right, stay switched on here, like good fear, you know what I mean? Not not fear as in crippling fear where it consumes you and that, but the, the, the fire in your belly or whatever you want to call it. Like, I love that. You know, I, 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 I rely on adrenaline and that in a competition to keep me sharp because I know that that's a part of competing. I love, I, and don't get me wrong, in the beginning I wasn't, always like that but I know that those feelings that you feel in competition they're there for a reason mm. and like I, I use that as fuel and when I do feel those feelings I have a thing that I've done the last few years uh, I don't know how many years I just smile and I'm like right it's go time or it's getting close to go time you know what I mean it could be a couple of days out or whatever I was like I'm ready you know what I mean I've, I've put myself in these bad positions I've put the hours in on the mat and when I get those feelings I'm like that's when I feel the most alive you know, coming up to a competition, the feelings you feel before, the feelings you feel or the feelings that you feel during the competition, after the competition, a couple of days after, that's when I feel the most alive. You know, you get the, like competitions a roller coaster, as in like even preparing for a match, like anyone, like anyone I've trained with, black belts or you know whatever, like everyone has good days and bad days, and then you kind of put more pressure on yourself coming up to a competition. You're kind of like, I need to be submitting everyone, I need to be winning every single roller. I'm not going to do well in the competition. That's not the way it is. Training's training. You just put in the work, trust the process, and if you if you train hard enough and you've good lads around you and you've a good attitude and that, then you'll get the results. And if you don't get the results, assess what went wrong, go do it again, and like like that's like we were just on about earlier on, fail better, you know. So go go bring it back, bring bring your skills back out again for a test drive, and see see are they better. And if they're not, go back and fine tune it. But go back to what you were saying, like that saying, uh, be humble in jujitsu or you'll be humbled. Mm. You know, so I I just you know I I've I've been humbled so many times, whether it's in the gym or competition or whatever else. It's hard to have a big ego doing jujitsu. Do you know what I mean? Because it uh, you good days and bad days. We all have it, regardless of belt color. You know, and I, and I just enjoy competing and I enjoy testing and I do it for me. You know, and I, mm. like in a few years time, I'll have a few stories for my grandkids or my son or whatever it might be. And I said, you know what? I was that person that showed up to the competitions and I was that person that put myself out there I was that person that tried to reach the highest level you know I gave it my all and I achieved x y or z you mm. know but then when I'm fucking lying on my deathbed I'm not like uh, I should have done this you know I'm making sure I do everything and, and when when it's all said and done I'm like, like right you know I've gained enough experience as a coach to be able to coach my own lads and I've done everything that I wanted to do mm. you know no regrets all in <laughs> no, that's a good way to look at it, man. So yeah, I got a bit of a moral conundrum here if you're up for it. This is like a sort of would you rather thing. It's like, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? 
for me, just off the top of my head, without thinking about it too much, cancer. Just mm. because I, I've been, you know, I've been affected by it, as in, like, you know, grandparents or family or friends, uh, friend, you know, friends, families and that type of stuff. So that, that hits home more with me rather than world hunger. Now, don't get me wrong, I know world hunger is a fucking massive you know, issue and it probably affects more people and that kind of stuff. But I can only go by my own experiences and obviously uh, uh, cancer affects a lot of people, especially in, you know, Irish homes and, you know, across Europe, across the world in general, you know. So, um, like, I, I have a little thing when, you know, you have people call around your house, like selling a, or trying to get you to buy, you know, into different charities and that could be a dog one week and a monkey the following week and then a draft or a fucking, you know, blue season or whatever it might be. I kind of, there's two, there's two, um, like, obviously, you can't help everyone. You know, I don't have an unlimited amount of money or, you know, time or whatever else. So, but the two charities that are closest to me is depression, you know, like suicide, depression and that type of stuff. And second is cancer in, in no specific order. They're, they're just a two that are just too important to me because I've either suffered with or I've had friends that suffered with or I've had people that passed away that have had cancer or, or you know, passed away through suicide or whatever else. So they're the ones that are close to close to my heart and, and mm. that's the reason why I, I, I pick cancer nah now nah, that, that's a perfectly good one to pick like see so many people get wrapped up in it because think about this if let's just say hypothetically you do have the ability to get rid of one or the other that's still a great thing to do to get rid of one like you know it's not it's not your fault that world hunger exists and you know you are getting rid of a fucking horrible thing in the world if you do manage to get rid of cancer so so many people are like oh dude you know it is like a big yeah. decision if you think about it but you're yeah. doing a good thing it's a net positive overall yeah, and, it's, and you can only you can only go by you can only be yourself and you can only make judgments on like your past experiences and you know everything that you've been affected by and you know different things so um that's me being real you know if i could if i could Cure both of them or fix both of them. I'd obviously pick both, but if you if you can only pick one, it's kind of like a you know you just have to go with close or go with what's closest to your heart or closest to home. Mm, of course. See, in your uh, personal professional opinion, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache? <laughs> this is a bit of a tonal change now. <laughs> I <laughs> I wouldn't be able to, to control it or be able to pull it off, but I know someone that pulls it off the best. Will Flurry. Oh yeah, <laughs> I knew you were gonna fucking say that. Like, is I he gonna say that? Trema will, will a good bit, and he's able to pull it off. So I'll leave the handlebar mustache to him because he's a raw bastard and he doesn't give a shit. So uh, I wouldn't be able to pull it off. You know, I've I've kind of just a little bit of stubble or maybe a beard now and again, and and that's about it. You know, so. Man, I think he should expand out and do the the general custer where he has the mutton chops connected to the handlebar, but nothing on the chin. We were out in a. We were out in Oklahoma last year. He was fighting in um, in Bellator, and I was obviously uh, in his corner. And uh, um, we actually we walked through. We were staying in a uh, Windstar Casino. It's like a, one of the biggest casinos I think in the world, or it's up there anyway. It's a big casino, and they, they hold some of the Bellator events there. But we were walking through. Uh, so it's in Oklahoma. So it's like uh, Oklahoma Texas border. You can imagine the kind of characters you get there. But we met some lad. Yeah. Will obviously has his handlebar, you know, mustache, and and uh, and then we met some lad that literally had like a fucking a black belt handlebar mustache. It was exactly what you were talking about. It was like it came down in like a, I think it was like like plaited, and he had a cowboy hat on and everything else. And there's levels to la- there's levels to beards. You know what I mean? Even even if you do spend a couple of months growing a beard, then la- some lad just comes in and he just you know just a, the, he's a black belt in, in growing beards. Uh, did he have a plaid shirt, cowboy boots, jeans, uh, and a belt buckle? 
he was the whole he was the he was the real deal. Like say when you walk into the hotel, there's a sign on the front door that says "No guns inside." And it was just like a casual sign, as in like if you're a cowboy, who can leave your leave your guns in the cars or whatever. Don't don't carry your guns around. You know what I mean? Because guns are obviously you know in Texas and the uh, there's like pawn shops and gun shots or gun shops everywhere. You know, everywhere there's guns and that for sale. I think, like, uh, I think Will was actually telling me this that basically there was like a cool. They brought in a cooling off period uh, into. I think it was Texas, where basically like you used to be able to go in. I think this is the way it is. You used to be able to go in and just buy a gun, and then you could get the gun more or less straight away, or you know, you know, relatively quick to going in and picking it out and signing for it. And it's not like Ireland. Like I have a gun uh, myself and a. And uh, it, there's a bit of a process that you need to go through to, to get a gun, like say if you're hunting deer or you're whatever you might be doing, but there's, it takes a few weeks or a month to get. It. But basically, they brought in a cooling off period into Texas when you buy a gun. So basically, you go in, you pick your gun and whatever else, and you can't come back for like 12 or 14 hours, so, uh, a number of something, something like that. But like the gun crime went down by like 40 or 50 percent just after they bought brought in the cooling off period. So you think about someone like gets, you know, gets pissed off, something happens, you know, they, they're going, right, I'm buying a gun, I'm going to fucking shoot him or I'm going to do whatever. They go in, they get the gun and then they're full of adrenaline and maybe full of beer or full of drugs or whatever it might be and then they get the gun and then they up shooting someone and then they cool off and then they regret later but they, they kind of brought that rule in and I think it brought gun, gun crime down like massive. There was a big percentage that dropped, you know. That's my story about guns in Texas and that. So you went off another tangent. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense because you know, obviously, yeah. some, if someone's pissed off and annoyed, like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't sell you a gun because you know there's fucking steam coming out of your fucking ears yeah, and you look exactly. extremely pissed off. Instead of just giving someone a gun, you know, I mean, here you look pissed off or you look like you're on drugs or crystal meth. Here's a gun. You know, have a nice day. You know, and that's the way it probably was. You know, yeah, go buy ammo next door. That's not yeah, my it's problem. A, it's like buying sweets, isn't it? You know mm. what I mean? That's that's how that's how common it is, or or it, it is in some states. I don't know the whole laws and everything else, but you know, you, you see what you see in the internet and hear what you hear and that. Now I understand the importance of the Second Amendment and all that, just so the King of England can't come to your front door and push you around. I understand that the, re- the that's very <laughs> very important. You know, so you can, you can sh- dude, who wouldn't want to shoot the King of England in the dick or in the face or whatever if he starts coming? <laughs> if, he, if he rolls up with his fucking red coated arsoles and starts pushing you around, motherfucker, you gotta you gotta defend your land. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that, yeah. Fuck the fuck the king of England. <laughs> oh wait, there isn't one. <laughs> oh uh, man, if you had a time machine, where's the first sort of uh, historical period you'd go to? Uh, off the top of my head, I would obviously like to go to Rome and see the gladiators and that. You know, I've, I've been to Rome obviously a few times with the Europeans and 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 that. And like, <clears throat> I was only saying it the other day. Like, why find when you go to the the Colosseum in Rome? Like, have you been there? Nah. But you, when when eventually you do get a chance to go and that like you like you can feel that energy, like you can feel that like warriors and gladiators like fought to the death, you know, in that arena and that. And then there's like it's just like a like say for example on on the walkway up to the Colosseum, like there's a there's an area where the the gladiators were training, and then there's another area where they were kind of like kept before they go to fight. So if you want to call them holding cells or whatever it might be, you know what I mean? But they were kept in a certain area, but they could hear the screams of like the crowds, like a football stadium, you know, and they could hear the screams of the crowds from like, uh, from their, their chambers or their, or their, their cell or whatever it might have been 
before they went to fight to the death. You know what I mean? So like just to just to see like to see the Colosseum and just like see where Caesar sat and all that. You can see all that when you go there. And you can see the little trap doors where they like got tigers or lions or whatever to jump out and fight gladiators and that. Like that was a real thing. So imagine like experiencing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've kind of I, I was at uh, I cornered uh, Charlie Charlie Ward at uh, UFC Glasgow a few years ago. I think it was like maybe four years ago, three or four years ago or something like that. And I remember he he was after finishing his fight and uh, I walked Gunnar Nelson was fighting that night and I walked back out into the arena. Um, like I, he was in the change room chatting to lads, and I walked back out to the arena to see uh, Joanne Calderwood fight. She's a she's a Scottish MMA fighter, and I remember I remember it was a bloody it was a bloody fight. It was late in the night, and the two women were like like they were at war. Do you know what I mean? It was war, mm-hmm. and it was late in the night. So obviously the Scottish lads loved the beer as well and loved the crack and everything else. And you know they were getting they were like you know they were thirsty for blood. But I remember I was just standing basically like in the tunnel. And I walked out of the dressing rooms and I looked up and it was like a circular kind of arena. I think it was the SS arena or SSE in uh, Glasgow. And I looked around and I just seen people like screaming and, you know, looking at these two women, like killing each other in the cage. And I was, it just took me back. I was like, this is like, this is like modern day gladiator stuff. You mm. know what I mean? And it really is like MMA, especially in those arenas and, you know, any, you know, any arena, but like it's, it's literally as closest as you can get to like modern day gladiator. So that's why I have huge respect for anyone that does MMA because it's, it's, it takes a lot of balls, win, lose or draw. Do you know what I mean? And it takes a lot of, um, you just say, I don't know, you learn a lot from, from, from putting yourself out there like that, whether it's jiu-jitsu or MMA, but especially MMA in the sense that, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's fairly, it's fairly, uh, you know, it's a tough sport. But uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the comparison that I have, like say with, with the gladiators, obviously like the gladiators is a different level. It's mm. it's to the death. So for for that reason, I'd love to go back in a time machine and, yeah. and kind of the, sit like, there. There was swords and shit, like and spears and all that fucking shit. Yeah, I'd love to sit there, go back in a time machine, bring my iPhone back, and record it and stream it live on Instagram or Facebook and show everyone what's going on. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you could live stream it because there's no internet. Like whatever about recording right. it and bringing it back to the record and bring it back then to the time machine. Yeah, yeah, that because that could work. And not yeah. to mention, like it wouldn't be one of those retarded things where you being there would change the timeline. No, it would be feasible time travel. Because okay, here's the thing: the way they did it in Avengers makes sense. Because if you go back in time, do something like take some shit, do this thing or whatever. I won't and- touch anything. I'll bring my own, my own. Uh, Coke Zero and popcorn on my iPhone. Oh, no, that's that's the thing. You're allowed to touch stuff and change things right. in this scenario because right. it won't affect the timeline you came from. It'll affect okay. that timeline. Like, I get okay, say, say you go back in time when fucking Caesar's watching a gladiator thing. You kill Caesar there, just hypothetically. Like, and you come back, nothing's changed in your timeline, but you've made you. A new, made, made a new timeline where Caesar's dead, some random Irish lad killed him or whatever, and that's a whole new timeline. Other shit's going to happen. But it doesn't affect Caesar is in my bloodline. What the where the fuck did I come from? Like, yeah, man, uh, I should be the rightful fucking emperor of Rome. I assure yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's gonna be some fucking changes when I get into power. <laughs> We're gonna do all gladiators are doing jujitsu number one. That's yeah. the change. You have to wear a gi in the gladiatorial fights so you people yeah. people can throw you around the place and collar choke you. Yeah. You know, and uh, lions have to wear super special geese. You can choke them. But that's the stuff they did. Like, I think they did some mad stuff, like, to bring in animals and that. Like, I think, um, seemingly, as far as I know, they, they, like, they filled the place with water. And they did, like, mad stuff. Like, brought in, like, 
alligators or crocodiles and they had people like they just made like mad kind of like scenes so they'd like flood the place and they put in like makeshifts makeshift kind of like I you know boats and you know they have alligators there and have like like one team versus another team and then there was other times where they had like the chariots and you know you had to fight the lads in the chariots and then there was like you know different there's two versus one and three versus one and all this kind of stuff they're just mad for blood and mad. that was their entertainment there was no Netflix and chill back then <laughs> it was like gladiators and kill <laughs> oh. uh, I want that I want that back <laughs> oh, uh, we reached the last question of the podcast we're ready for the last question. Ooh, no bit of auspiciousness around this man uh, what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned in all years training jiu-jitsu just like a life lesson you've drawn from your training uh you know what i've learned i've learned so many different lessons you know i mean especially from from white to black belt i've learned a lot you know i'm not i'm not the same person i was when i started out when i walked through the first when i walked through the doors in the first night you know what I mean? I'm I'm a completely different person. Now, don't get me wrong; I still have the same mind, but my mindset is completely different. I've learned a lot, like learned a lot through ups and downs, and I've met a lot of good people. So, and you know, I've got to travel a lot and that. So, it's it's very hard for me to put like one one thing on it. But I suppose the biggest the biggest lesson that I have that I kind of maybe I carry into everyday life, and that is like I I honestly believe that like no matter what, if if I you know if I if I pick something, if I choose something to do, whether it's learning the guitar or learning a new language or maybe, I don't know, getting a degree in X, Y, or Z, I have the confidence to know that, like, I know how to learn. Does that make sense? I know, I know the, I know the, I know the process of learning. And I know that sounds, you know, a bit obvious in that, but I know that like literally if I, if I take the same approach from what I did from white belt to black belt in jujitsu to, I don't know, getting a, a degree or, you know, fill in the blank, learn how to play an instrument or whatever else. And I put enough time into it, and I realize that it's a slow process and it really is winning, you know, getting better 1% every day. A lot of people throw that around, but they don't really get 1% better every day. They just kind of go in and train hard and they think they're getting better. And they may or they may not or whatever else, but that's the kind of attitude I have. You know, they clock up 10,000 hours. Uh, if you're going to do something, do it 100% and go all in. Otherwise, I, I don't do anything that I don't really want to do. You know, I used to, I used to try to keep everyone happy and I'd kind of go... I, I, I'll jump in on that soccer match because I'll, I'll, you're stuck for players or, you know, or, or maybe I, or I'll, I'll, I'll do this or I'll do that. But now my whole thing is like, if, if I don't want to do it and I'm not able to give it 100%, I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? I don't like half half doing things. I, you know, before it didn't really bother me, but now it's like I kind of all in on it. You know, so that's, that's just the way my mindset is. So, yeah, I've, <clears throat> I've learned how to learn doing jiu-jitsu. You know, and huh. that's, that's given me confidence in doing anything, anything else in life. Now, I know that if I want to get better at something, just put the time in it. Ask the people that have done it before you, do you know what I mean? There's someone that's better than you in a certain area or something like that. Talk to them. How did they get good? You know what I mean? Look, try, you know, try, uh, try. I don't know, that's just put in the hours and put in the work. And then, and the process, you know, the, trust the process and, and time will pass and then everything else will fall into place. Mm. Nah, that makes perfect sense, man. That was a great answer. So, guys, we're going to call it an episode there. If you want to follow Kieran on uh, Instagram, it's creatively at Kieran Davern one <laughs> there, was no, there was no Kieran Davern, so I had to have Kieran. Kieran Davern was gone, so I had to put Kieran Davern one in it. I was like, if I put number three on it, it'd probably be weird. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. That would be weird. <laughs> yeah, I just, one was, one was the best one.
Yeah. Okay. So, guys, if you want, you should follow the podcast page on Instagram. Follow me. Follow Sean at Shawnee Judo Jits. Why am I looking at the microphone? Am I retarded or something? <laughs> like, I don't know why. I was looking at the microphone for a second. I don't know what. I, I don't know why. So, uh, follow Con at Con Gracie and support us on Patreon if you want us to help help us get some better equipment like this sexy microphone that I was looking at for some reason because I lost the camera or whatever. Okay. So, Kieran, do you have to say before we shoot off? No, just thanks a million for having me on. Um, thank you know thanks very much to my uh, sponsors to Tammy you know uh, really look after me they're great sponsors and that um thanks everyone in my gym family you know friends my partner Jamie and that you know for always supporting me um you know and, and over the next couple of days I'll have some uh, big news to announce uh, an exciting competition that I'm really looking forward to competing in so uh, can't wait can't wait to announce it, it only got confirmed uh, over the last day or so so uh, really exciting to jump in on that and announce the news with that so yeah no that's it thanks for having me appreciate it mm. yeah one sec i just gotta press this button real quick it's fucking yeah. retarded yeah thanks for listening guys it was